Hello, hello, and welcome to part two of the first ever two-part episode of Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Right now, you're listening to part two of my interview with Chris Saka, the co-founder of Lower Carbon Capital. You can hear his full bio and so, so much more in part one, which is available in your feed right now. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Privacy.com. Privacy.com lets you buy things online using virtual cards instead of using your real ones so you can protect your identity and bank information on the internet. Okay, here's the deal. I get a lot of ads on Instagram for products I simply do not need but absolutely must have. Do I buy these products? Let's say uh, hypothetically, yes. And historically, am I always sure that my sensitive financial information is going to a real company I can trust? Hypothetically, no, I'm not. But that was then and this is now because I signed up for privacy.com and received a virtual card number I can use to safely and securely buy face masks and little kitcheny things and kooky sunglasses to my heart's content. Hypothetically, of course. Right now, new privacy.com customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. That's like a full face mask. You can go to privacy.com slash non-technical to sign up now. Okay, part two, let's get into it. Chris, this is a two-part question. So part one is who would play you in a movie about your life? And part two is should this movie be a biopic? So from outside of Buffalo to now, or should it focus in on a particular chapter of your life? All right. So the first one's kind of easy and horrible at the same time. But Oh, really? Oh, right. Yes. And this came up recently where I was like, this is the ultimate big brother, fuck with a little brother move, like to <laughs> to have him play me. On the one hand, how funny to shoehorn him in my character. On the other hand, God, he could get so much revenge in the way he played it. Um, and so we talked about this. There's a production right now that I was kind of able to get myself written out of where okay. my brother was slated to play me. And I kind of didn't want to be in the story anyway. So, but that would have been amazing. It's funny. I, uh, I've wrestled with this before because the stories I like to tell aren't necessarily mm-hmm. like about what it's like to be on the Shark Tank set. Yeah. And like the formative experiences I've had, mm. I mean, like when I go to Vegas, I studied way too much math to go to. I went to the University of Buffalo for math starting in sixth mm-hmm. grade. So I yeah. studied way too much math to like play casino games. Sure. But what I do like to do is make prop bets with strangers. Okay. When I go with friends, it's like, Let's see if we can get these two people to engage in a push-up contest against each other for money and wager with odds on who can do more push-ups. And like, we'll spend an hour on that and it'll be the highest entertainment ever to see them get all fired up and start talking shit. And like, everybody has the best time. We'll do over-under on someone's age. We never hide what we're doing. But the key is we then have to talk them into revealing their driver's license. Very cool. So therein lies the challenge, right? But it's a good time. We all probably end up hanging out together at the end of the night. But I've had that go seriously wrong. I was at a shoe shine stand once and there was a, a true real life pimp there. Oh like, my God. Like he had the coat. He was at a shoe shine, even though he's wearing suede hush puppies. That should have been okay. like a sign. But I said, hey, let's Rosham. Like I like to Rochambeau, you know, like rock, paper, yeah. scissors. And I beat him. And the stakes were, I was like, hey, if we win, I, I want my posse to hang out with your posse tonight. Like, take us to see your Vegas. Oh, my God. And that was both an incredible cultural experience and, like, 
really dangerous. It was amazing. Oh um, my God. And so, but those are kind of the stories I want to write. Like it's a little less exciting to hear about how, how I raised money for my first fund. I mean, that's right. I think there's a disconnect between what I want to tell and what an audience yep. wants to hear. So I struggle with that. Part of what I'm hearing is like, yes, obviously raising money for companies and being a successful investor, those are really interesting, compelling events, but they're also things that other people have also done. What are the things you've done or you've experienced that actually make you different and set you apart? I would personally much rather watch that movie. I mean, I think they tie into each other. Like they play one against the other. Like when I started my venture fund, when I started angel investing, I did it with credit card checks. I didn't have any money. I wasn't rich. Really? And so I have a risk tolerance that most people don't. And I have a, a lack of fear. I actually have a physical, there are parts of my body where I don't feel pain at all. Like my kids will be like, why is your hand bleeding? And I'm like, oh shit, my hand is bleeding. Oh my God. Um, it translates to there are times where I don't feel fear where I probably should. Okay. There are aspects of that that have played out in my personal life. Yeah. That have put me into wildly dangerous or aggressive situations, or I've raised my hmm. hand when I probably shouldn't have spoken up. But a lot of those have led to breakthroughs. And then I've translated those into business too. Totally. In my career, if hmm. you ask people about me, you'll get a wide standard deviation of answers because really? either I blew them away or I broke a lot of China and maybe stepped on them okay. along the way. Like, yeah, I'm allergic to hierarchy and organizations don't fit me and vice versa. There was sure. an old guy named Coach Campbell. He was the executive coach to Eric, Larry and Sergey, as well as Steve Jobs hmm. and others. And there's a book written about him called The Trillion Dollar Coach because he'd created like a trillion dollars of market cap or whatever. He took me on as a project, even though I wasn't like a senior executive at Google. He huh. just kind of saw a weird rebellious twinkle in me. And even my boss is like, why the fuck are you spending time with Saka? And he's yeah. like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> part of him reminds me of me and he's kind of such a fucking asshole. And like, sure. when I left Google and was trying to figure out what to do, I had offers to join hedge funds and venture funds and PE funds. And, you know, and then there was the option to maybe start my own thing, which was very far out of reach because I didn't even have the money to do it. And I'd never managed anyone's money or anything. And mm -hmm. his advice to me was start your own thing because you suck at having a boss. And I was like, there you go. Fucking A, you're right. Like I am horrible at working for somebody else. And so a lot of this kind of plays in. I found Seth Rogen's book really compelling in the way that mm -hmm. he tied some of his childhood events into his adult career choices. You have to listen to Seth's book. You okay. can't read it. I will. I also really enjoyed, this is going to sound goofy, but I really enjoyed listening to Matthew McConaughey's autobiography. You are not the first person to tell me that. I started reading and I'm like, ho-hum. <laughs> I met him at the Tour de France. He was a friend of Lance's and we were talking about Twitter. Mm -hmm. And the guy was just like, like these characters, you just send them out and they go out into the ethos and they circle all the planets and they come back and penetrate the eardrum of someone out. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, oh I was just kind of thinking about how they go over SMS and end up on your phone, but, um, yeah. but he's that guy. But listening wow. to his book, I would listen to it on walks and I would come home and tell Crystal about it. And she's like, you're obsessed. And I'm like, I fucking think I am. Like, yeah. like every chapter of this seems to be resonating in a weird way. I'm gonna have to check that out. But the one thing I will say is this, when I was 20 years old, I was 20? 20 years old, I was studying in Ireland and I was sitting in a class. It was like Irish film or something like that. And I was paying very little attention. I was at the University College Cork. And by the way, in Irish university, they give you the choice to either write a paper or take an exam, but they give you the paper topic on the first day of class. And if you just lock yourself in your room and write your paper, you're done. 
Oh. So I wrote six papers and then I just drank my way through college for a semester. There you go. But I was in this class and I would go to class to like meet girls. Sure. I was flirting with this girl in the back of our cinema. And the way we did it was we had this notebook where we would write 10 questions and then pass them over to the other person to answer them, okay. write 10 more, pass it back. And in that book, she asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Crystal and I found this book in our garage and we were cleaning out our hmm. garage when I was 41 or 42. So just a few okay. years ago. Yeah. I totally forgot about these questions, but I flipped back to it and it said, I don't know what the name of the job is, but I do know it's going to involve a lot of high stakes negotiation, big rewards, massive downside, incredible risk. I'm going to do it part-time from the mountains and part-time from the beach. My office setup will be a warehouse with a couple of phones. I won't really have anyone working for me. And whatever it is, I'm going to be the best at it. And when I'm 40, I'm going to quit and do something else. And so oh, I was 42 and I was reading this in my garage in Truckee, California, up in the mountains, where we were splitting our time between there and Manhattan Beach on the water. I didn't know what venture capital was, but I had imprinted that picture of Tom Cruise mm -hmm. in the beginning of Rain Man, where he's in the <laughs> warehouse importing Ferraris. And for me, I was like, that's fucking it. Like no receptionist, no, no pomp. Wow. Just like him and a phone. And remember that early headset he had, he just looked so fucking cool. So he could walk around and gesture and pace. There you go. I was like, it was just him and his words making a business happen. I, I remember like I wanted to find that and growing wow. up with no money, like I didn't want to just grind it out like law firm wise. Yeah. Just be like, okay, when you're 65, you can make partner. Yeah. Kind of like, yep. I wanted totally. to hit. And then at the time, like our fund was, you know, one of the highest performing funds of all time. I mean, now yeah. I think there are going to be kids who blow it away with their sure. coin bases and shit, but yep. I'm very happy for them. And I just decided to step back from all that. I wasn't finding mm. it as fulfilling and wanted to figure out something else to do. And so I just looked at it and I'm like, this is fucking prophecy. And I don't yes. even remember it. I was like a throwaway thing hmm. in meeting this girl. But if you read McConaughey's book, I won't give it away, but he wrote a list for himself. Hmm. After he said literally three words, all right, all right, all right. He sat down and wrote a list for himself and it is fucking crazy what came true. Wow. And so I actually do believe in, I don't know what you call it, like manifestation of your visualization uh -huh. or whatever the fuck it is. I don't read self-help books, but like there was something very cool about that exercise, particularly not even knowing I was doing it. Hmm. That is amazing. That has to go in the movie. And also I'm thinking that we could call the movie risk tolerance or something <laughs> like that. I think the scene with the girl is really interesting. You know what? I'll talk to your brother. Let me connect with your brother. We'll figure this all out. You get to show up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, my brother has started writing. I mean, so he wrote and produced and then co-starred in this movie called Buffaloed that hmm. got wide release, let's see, last year, 2020, of course, like oh, February when everyone's wow, like, oh shit, should we go to him. theaters? But it's semi-autobiographical. It's in Buffalo and it's about how yeah. Buffalo became the center of the debt collection universe, like all these abusive phone callers, like debt collecting. And so he wove it into our childhood of being Buffalo Bills fans and the distinct culture of Buffalo. But also when I was laid off from my law firm, I owed, well, I originally owed $4 million in my own name because of a high risk trading loss, but I was oh, able to wow. negotiate it to two and an eighth million. And so I used to get those calls. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that I would get these really abusive callers trying oh, to collect wow. on debt. 
I didn't write that movie for my brother, but I would tell him these stories and they really yeah. stuck in his head. He ultimately kind of piggybacked off that to build this arc of his tale, you know, wow. to dig in and stuff like that. There's just fun nuggets there. Like I gave a graduation speech a long time ago where people were asking like, what were the secrets to success and stuff like that. And I actually mm. said, as I look around the room and find the most successful people I know and whatever their pursuit, whether it's business or art or writing or music yep. or science or naturalism, mm -hmm. the one thing they all have in common is they're really interesting. Hmm. And I think interestingness is something that's not necessarily innate. You can literally achieve it. Mm -hmm. I think you can achieve it by going abroad and working, living and studying abroad and introducing yourself to people who aren't like you. Yeah. Or if you're in the United States, going to communities in which you are unlike everyone else and have to mm -hmm. learn a perspective from other folks and trying new roles. You know, I worry when we were kids and we'd go abroad, like there were no Google Maps. And, you know, mm -hmm. when you came out of the subway, you're like, fuck, I have yep. to rely upon the kindness yep. of strangers to help me out right now. Like, I have no option. Now you can live these more isolated lives and you I don't know. actually depend on neighbors anymore. And so I, I believe that interestingness can come from having stories. Yes. And stories come from having life experiences. Yeah. And so for me, you know, I, the biographies I love, I like to read biographies, are, are the ones where people talk about those seminal stories that influence more who they are today and how that translates. And so kind of like your podcast, I enjoy when the current career is less of a discussion and the weird inflection yes. points, you know, up to then. I mean, look, I was a fake it till you make it guy for sure. When I was laid off, I um, I went out with a business card that said Chris Saka and I was going to these networking events that I would sneak yeah. into because I couldn't afford the 20 bucks. And people were like, oh, you sound like a good kid. Should have worked out for you. Okay. And I'm like, no, no, I need to like make rent like this. Week. Yeah, yeah. And so working with Crystal, who was then my friend, I came up with this name called the Salinger Group. It just sounded very mnemonic. Was that a J.D. Salinger thing? I put all these different author and brand names in next to group on URLs to see if, I, okay. if any were available <laughs> and if it sounded like it was a thing. So it wasn't an homage in any way. In fact, my public high school didn't have us read any books. I've, I still haven't read Catcher in the Rye. Oh. I just, it sounded like, it sounded mnemonic. And so Crystal helped me design a logo and a site. It was very cool. It said a lot of nothing. And hmm. I would go to these meetings with this kick-ass two-sided orange and gray business card that sounds the sound yes. group, Chris Saka Principal. And people, I swear to you, would be like, oh yeah, I know you guys. You guys do good work. And oh my I would, God. I use the we all the time, not the I. Oh, of course. And it worked. Like That's amazing. You know, and so... Like there's a story in McConaughey's book about how he wanted to get Dallas Buyers Club made and hmm. nobody would finance it. So he just set a shooting date and was like, this is the date it's happening. And like lined up the director and lined up everybody else wow. did not have the money put together. But the momentum behind that kind of made it happen. There you go. Yeah. I mean, when I raised my first fund, just to do talk about a business story, I asked the lawyers, how much is it going to cost to do? And they're like, $250,000. I did not Ooh. have $250,000. I'm like, why is it so much? And they're like, well, all the LPs will negotiate the documents with you. And that's like, yeah. so I'm like $250,000 of lawyer time. That's what this is. And I was like, Oof. can you just give me somebody else's documents that are already done? And I'll just put those out there. Yeah. And so they did. That was like 25 grand. And I put them out there and I just told everyone, these have been heavily negotiated by a bunch of other LPs. So we're not going to yeah. make any more changes. Utter bullshit. Damn. But it worked and it saved me a lot of money. And and so I resonate with some of these stories in other disciplines hmm. that are kind of fun. Wow. I love hearing from other people who've done interesting things and then pulling out 
things that I can take with me into what I'm doing, even if it's not comparable. Like one of my biggest inspirations, honestly, is Danny Meyer, who runs Union Square Hospitality Group and is an incredible restaurateur. He wrote a book called Setting the Table, which is about the business of hospitality, which I read when I started my career in tech as an account manager. I've read that book multiple times. It's had one of the biggest impacts on me of any book I've read. And it has nothing to do with what I do or what I want to do. Yeah. One of our close friends is, well, uh, two of them are Renee and Nadine Redzepi. So hmm. Renee is the creator of Noma, like the world's mm-hmm. best restaurant many years out of mm-hmm. many years. I think one of the reasons why we got tight is if you go to that, it feels like a startup model, hmm. a constant reinvention, a constant cool. trying new things, a never, like there's nothing continuous on the menu ever. It is constantly being reinvented. That's awesome. Saturday nights, I got him Periscope early on and oh, really? he would broadcast, they have a thing called Saturday Night Experiments where all the chefs throw something out there that they've been working on oftentimes for months, like a flavor yeah. combination or something and all the other chefs try it. Cool. Broadcast that, meaning like That's all the competitors so cool. would see the thing that might make it to the menu next. But it was just this open source thing and mm. as people spun out of his restaurant, he would encourage them and back them. And and like, that's how Silicon Valley works. And, yes. you know, this idea of like this open sharing of knowledge, even if it's against your immediate self-interest, creates this culture. And so he became the place mm. people wanted to go to work. And if you wow. go look at the library within the restaurant, you see all kinds of startup books there. You also see comedy books, by the way. Like Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would take pictures and send them to people. Like, I'd be like, Judd. Judd Apatow, like, look, there's your book. It's in here. That's Um, so cool. Because, you know, chefing is a lot of improvisation, right? Totally. And a lot of audience work. And Nadine is just as creative and inventive. And then I think her Mm. her talent that relates to the startup world is reducing stuff to its simplest, most approachable level. Wow. Our job in tech is to take Mm. complex stuff and hopefully make it simple and easy to use. I think she is a superpower at building simple recipes and simple techniques for cooking stuff. But Copenhagen for us, like we spend a few months a year there, it's a real kinship of this kind of, uh, this mix of art and science in building food and Mm -hmm. drink and experiences for people, but through a culture of constant experimentation, constant feedback loops, constant risk. I mean, Renee, after winning best restaurant in the world, again, shut down his restaurant, took a year off to restart it, traveled around the world, studied wow. cuisine in all these different places, started pop-ups hmm. in places, and then came back to restart yeah. it completely different. You know, I think we try and live that crossover world as much as we can and really immerse ourselves. Like if I could come back as anyone, yeah, it would be George Plimpton. Do you know about him? So he was this like, no, he was this New York kind of aristocrat. And I was this year's old when I realized that that was not a British accent. That's the mid-Atlantic accent. Are you yes, familiar the with mid-Atlantic. <laughs> yes, the mid-Atlantic. Yes, I am. I was, I was totally But I know what you mean. Yeah, it's this like kind of British accent, but he grew up in New York. I had no idea. <laughs> but George Plimpton would just immerse himself in, he was a journalist, but he would immerse himself in these cultures where he'd be like, I'm going to learn to box, but I'm not just going to learn to box. I'm going to get my ass kicked by the best professional fighters in front of an audience for money. Um, oh my you know, God. and he'd be like, I'm going to learn to play American football, but I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to go and play some downs for a pro football team. And they're going to tackle the fuck out of me. Wow. That to me was just the heart of experience. And mm. so I try and do that. I try and immerse myself in these other cultures entirely and experience this wild shit. That's hopefully what I'll continue to do with this, you know, with this next half of my life. Totally. Well, Chris, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Right on. 
This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Privacy.com. Privacy.com lets you take back control of your payments by deciding who can charge your card, how much, and how often. And yes, that applies to free trials and subscriptions. Let me tell you a quick story. Once upon a time, a famously adored comedian and podcast host wanted to watch the Meghan Markle Prince Harry Oprah interview, but access to cable was nowhere to be found. She turned down the dark and dangerous path of a free trial to a streaming service. Free trial, she said. Surely I'll remember to cancel this before I get charged. Listener, she did not. Now, if our heroine had used privacy.com, she wouldn't have paid for a single month of Paramount Plus she didn't need, or three months she didn't need, whatever. It's not important. What's important is that with privacy.com, you can set time limits and spending limits on your virtual card to make sure you're never accidentally billed. Right now, new customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. You can go to privacy.com slash non-technical to sign up now. So hold on, I gotta ask, like, do you get yeah. any say in your advertisers? Oh, I yeah, I actually am totally independent, so I pitch all my sponsors and do all my own deals. Fuck yeah, way to be. Thanks. I, I get offered all these kind of podcast hosting jobs for like existing hmm. properties. Yeah. And I ask for two things. One is final approval of the edit. Yeah. And two is I get approval over the advertisers. And, yeah. and all of them say no. Everybody said, oh, and oh my, wow. So there's two, th the advertisers mm. one is easy. I don't want to get on there and then find out they're like advertising jewel pods, you know, or something right. shitty. Like I'm just a little picky about that. Same. <laughs> but the edit thing is funny. On my first day of mm. shooting Shark Tank, yeah, the producers who were extremely helpful and I really like them and I still talk to them regularly, were like, hey, no one in America really knows who you are. So here's what we want you to do. Like drop the names of the companies you work with in there so that you can mm. like relate the advice you're giving to household name companies like Uber and huh. Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. And then they'll, that way they'll catch like your relevance to these things, you know, like, so it's yeah. not just advice coming out of the ether, but it's really related and applicable. And they're like, we'll just find the examples and cut the best ones and kind of run those. So all day long, I'm like, mm. well, this reminds me of an Uber when we, you know, yeah. <laughs> so my first episode, they cut me saying Uber six fucking times in the same episode oh my and god within hours the redditors have put up like chris aga saying uber soundboards and oh shit like my that. god and I'm like, no and like they yeah. have no idea like that show has no interest in making its sharks look bad like they have every interest yeah, in making course. their sharks look good incredible and shit like that yes but definitely they just didn't even know and i'm like you have no idea how like i'm gonna get my balls busted for a century because yeah of that. there was another time where a young guy came on, he was building a vegan pet food company. Okay. And he talked about his journey. Like he was African-American, grew up with a single mom in New Orleans, I think I remember. Mm -hmm. Scratched and clawed his way to um, Yale and like defied, you know, like just all the systemic odds against a kid, you know, black kid of a single mom making it yeah. to Yale. Got into like investment banking or consultancies, kicked ass there. It was just a series oh, of wow. triumphs overcoming Damn. obstacles in his life, right? Maybe yeah. there's some like illness in there and stuff and then chose to do this thing. And so on Shark Tank, often they would send it to me to be the last one to wrap up because okay. I would encapsulate the thing and kind of put a cowboy line on it or something like that and just kind of yeah. sum it up really well when we said no. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of people were like, sorry, not for me, not for me. And then they would send it to me to like wrap it up and bring it home. In this one... I, I say something like, God, I really, I, I, I'm not going to make up the words because I kind of forget it, but it was basically like, thank you so much for coming in and sharing that journey. 
in everything you'd overcome, you know, being a young black kid from New Orleans and, you know, and, mm. and overcoming all these obstacles and how much you have defied, you know, race and not let that characterize you and overcome these examples of overt racism that you've given us. And, and you know, wow. but so they literally cut all of that middle part out and they're just like, you know, um, thanks for coming in here, young black kid from New Orleans. Unfortunately, this isn't a fit for me. I'm out. Oh boy, like, that's different. You fucking killed me. <laughs> like, so Twitter is immediately like, why you got to be black? What the fuck? Why are you so yep. racist? Like, why does it fucking matter? And I'm like, of course. Oh my god, we had this like <sighs> this discussion about. Oh fuck, it just doesn't. So, so that scared you from not having control over your own edit. Yeah, I just started to. I mean, that was. I, a, I, when I when I left Shark, like AI was not going to do broad based investing anymore. And, and yeah. by the way, I I will end up making money from that show, not from appearances. I got paid minimum wage under the union to sure. be on that show. But the companies we invested in were great, and they've done really That's well. Awesome. It's just not the kind of stuff I wanted to do. Like if I go on The Bachelor, how long is The Bachelor expected to be married? Like six weeks or something like yeah. that? Is that like the average <laughs> tenure? I don't know. I don't watch it, but I, I think that sounds right. Something like that. Like, but if you invest in a company in Shark Tank, that's like a ten to twelve year commitment, right? And and an active one. It's not just like buying a stock. Like we now yeah. work together. So I found that hard, but I loved the dynamic of the show. It was very authentic and fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a great show. But what I learned was I need my own edit because I think I'm the only one who understands for me, just like you're the only one who understands for you. Like what's yep. I hate to put it this way, on brand for you, right? Like, I know. I, like, trust me, I don't like the phrasing either. That comes out of your mouth. There's something that's like offensive by accident. Oh yeah. You know? For me, I just deeply need to understand that this is something that reflects me and my values, and I and I yeah. feel lucky to have those choices now. But um, yeah. But that's cool it's that you're privilege. able to get it done. Sure. I think one of the ways you pay it forward is by having a good podcast, but also helping other people understand the hard parts of this podcast, right? Like yeah, one of the things true. I've always tried to do is demystify what I do, and so. You know, Crystal yeah. and I are like probably those most prolific backers of a new generation of venture capitalists, most of whom are mm -hmm. women and people of color. And while putting our money in is helpful and introducing them to other investors is helpful and vouching for yeah. them, a lot of it is just like, how do I pull this shit off? And so, well, let me yeah. give you some lessons from my hand wavy experience, you know, and the parts that yep. people pretend are concrete, but they're really just smoke and mirrors. I think sometimes like, paying it forward that way by talking about the guts. Also, one of the greatest pieces of comedy of all time was the Gary Shandling show. Yeah, Are you familiar yeah. with it? Very familiar. My dad made me watch many episodes. Yeah, so for people who don't know, it was like a show about making like a Jay Leno style Tonight Show. Yeah. But then the camera would cut and you would see the back of the show. And like, I think those things are fantastic. Gary Shandling was also like a personal hero. And if you haven't read Judd Apatow's book about him, you have to, it's amazing. And so. actually my father and Rip Torn were very close. So no we used way. to have Thanksgiving with him and his family. Mm -hmm. Oh shit, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing moment. That's yeah, really one cool. time we all watched dodgeball together. One of the highlights of my life, sitting with Rip and watching porn. dodgeball. Yeah, <laughs> you got to write that down. I don't know if you've written yeah. that down somewhere, but that's got to be written down. <laughs> it was pretty cool. So, Chris, we've come to an exciting moment. We are at the lightning round. Are you ready? Yeah, these are always challenging for me. No, I believe in you. I like lightning questions when there's not superlatives attached to them. Because yeah. Like my hardest thing to do is when people are like, what are your okay. top five? I'm like, fuck, I can give no, you like I can't do a that. bunch of likes. But mm -hmm. ranking is really hard for me. Okay. So, although my favorite movie of all time is The Big Lebowski. But um, well, there we go. <laughs> after, but the next four, I don't know if I could rank them. No superlatives for you then. Okay, you ready? Yeah. All right. 
Coffee or tea? I don't drink hot beverages. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lightning round. You got to go to the next one. Wait, no. I Do you drink iced coffee? Iced tea? No. No, no, no. Okay. I have a, I have a well, sweeter palate, so I don't drink anything subtle. Mm, okay. And I resent all the Irish people who tried to make me drink that shit. I'm sure. I love that you tried to get me to move past that absolute bombshell. You're like, I don't drink hot beverages. Next question. Our blue <laughs> I was bottle like, investment was me. driven by Crystal completely. Like she was the genius who saw the potential in blue bottle. I didn't get it at all because I, I. Wow. Just, I mean, yeah, it's like dull water. Um, so. Oh my god. I've had like a cup of coffee in a field in Tigray, the region of Ethiopia that's actually being invaded by the Ethiopian army right now. Mm. Um, that's where we do a lot yeah. of charity water work. And mm. some women made me a cup of roasted coffee out in the middle of nowhere in like a really impoverished village. And that was delicious. So, okay. but I think it was contextual, you know, like the actual coals that were roasting the beans were right there and stuff. Yes. So that sounds highly, like a highly contextual cup of coffee, but all right. So Chris Saka famously doesn't drink hot beverages. Now we know. I feel like I miss on the social aspects of not being a smoker or a coffee drinker. Honestly, I think you're probably right. I also don't smoke, but in terms of the coffee, I do I do, do a lot of socializing over coffee, honestly. So when we, um, when we lived in San Francisco, we had this loft at Third and Townsend, kind of back when that, mm. before that neighborhood was really a thing yet. But that place in the Rich Street Alley, there was a blue bottle. And mm -hmm. we had a guy who stayed at our house named Owen Brainerd, who's like the wealth manager to a ton of entrepreneurs, mostly because he starts working with them when they don't have any money yet and then helps them yeah. through that transition in their life. But he's an old, old friend of ours, like back decades. And so he would sleep on our couch, cheapest person okay. I know. He'd bring his Love own it. bulk food, but he and Krista would get up in the morning and go to coffee and I would sleep in. And so mm -hmm. one day, Crystal and I went to coffee and yeah. it was scandalous because everyone there thought she was cheating on Owen. Oh my God. <laughs> It was just pure scandal. That's amazing. Yeah. And I had this wedding That's ring great. on. And I think they were like, yeah, oh, she's cheating with a married guy. Wow, like, married guy. Yeah. So that's um, amazing. So I do feel like I missed out on the social aspect. But no, no hot beverages for me. Chris, have you ever read a book twice? Oh, yeah. What In book? In the same sitting. This book, Not Fade Away by Peter mm. Barton. It was the life of Peter Barton. So okay. I don't know how I first encountered the book, but I found some awesome parallels in our lives. Like he started as a ski bum. We skipped that whole phase of my life in this okay. interview, but I was a ski bum for a long time and a ski bum who made his way successfully into business where he was at Liberty Media doing multi-billion dollar wow. transactions and stuff, but still a rabble rousing adventurer. Yeah. He's living in Boulder, Colorado. He's a mountain guy. And he finds out he has incurable stomach cancer. Mm. And the book kind of starts there. And it alternates mm. these chapters that are autobiographical. And then the next chapter is written by his co-author on the book who brings you back into the present and Peter's struggle yeah. with his cancer and how he's going to tie up wow. the ends of his life. And then it goes back to a chapter in his early life and then back mm -hmm. to now. That sounds amazing. I read it on a bus in Peru or Ecuador. And I was just openly weeping. And I think the people on the bus were like, what mm. is this fucking guy's problem? Yeah. <laughs> but I went back and read it again right away. Wow. Um, there have been a few books like that. Like, well, I read a lot of Buckminster Fuller. It's really dense and it okay. takes a long time to push through those books. Okay. But I'll often go back and read it to make sure I get it all. Like, I think he's probably been the singular biggest influence on mm. how I think about how I remain optimistic in the face of all this dog shit out there. Sure. Um, and all this doom. That makes a lot of sense. Well, um, I guess I wouldn't expect any less from Booker, right? That yeah, was the nickname? Booker. Yeah. Um, 
There was a really great book, How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia. I don't know if you've read that. Oh, no. What's unique about that book is it's written in the second person. So it's you, 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 you. Cool. This happens to you and then you do this and then you do that. And it basically charts the rise of someone from being kind of like in the lowest caste in hmm. Southeast Asia up through like success. That's amazing. But talking to you about you. So that one was immediately like, holy shit, I got to do that again. Yeah. Do you have a pump up song? I was playing a lot of music before we chimed in here. Let's see. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a few different genres. Let me open the Spotify. Do you have a song though that you're like, okay, big meeting or like exciting thing. I have to listen to this song. If I'm really sitting down to write something and most of my writing mm -hmm. doesn't see public because it's for, I'll write long pieces that are for small audiences that mm. I have to convince people of. But if I'm really writing something, yeah, I will put one song on repeat loud, but it's different songs each time. Like I have written for six hours. What was the terroristas. What was that song that everyone danced oh, to? Oh, oh, wait, that's not the one that's like, bum, bum, No, bum, no, it's, bum. Where you do, it's where you do half a dance and then it shifts and then everyone's in crazy costumes. What the fuck is that song called? Oh, oh, wait, not Gangnam Style, is it? No, no, no. no, no, um, no. Um, <sighs> I will, I, I have written to that for hours and hours and hours. I once, I once wrote a long blog post to um, Lift Off by like, Okay. Jay and Kanye and Beyonce. It sounds really wow. weird because I don't really, not really my jam, but I will go deep into some shit like that. I love that. I will play George Winston forever and, okay. uh, and Andres Volnbeater. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think what I was playing right before you got in here just to kind of wake up was Childish Gambino's two songs that he did for that little short movie he did with um, Rihanna. Mm. Did you ever see that? It's fucking great. No, but I love Childish Gambino. If you haven't seen that short film, it's insane. No, I haven't. Really, really good. Chris, I have a final question for you, mm -hmm. which is what would you title your memoir? What would I title my memoir? Fuck. Um, <laughs> oh, dude, I don't know. Like, what are the odds? Ooh. I, I'll tell you what I would title it. I actually do know. I have one saying that I have to repeat a lot sometimes because mm. I think I've been very lucky, but my luck mm -hmm. is not an accident. And so mm. my memoir would be, it may be lucky, but it's not an accident. That's There's perfect. no doubt. I can look at my life and see all these things like, holy shit, thank God that happened. Yeah. But I have to believe that if that didn't happen, I would have put myself in another situation where something similar happened. Yep. Like I have been afforded opportunities, but I've also created those opportunities. I was lucky as shit to get a job at Google, but I yep. fucking stalked David Drummond. I found out his personal yep. fax machine. I sent him hip hop <laughs> lyrics attached to my resume. I I was obsessive about that shit. I, I made myself that. useful. I showed up in meetings I was uninvited to. Like I would just, yeah. I would try and get myself invited to places where I know I could make an impression on someone. And so yep. for me, I think for everybody out there, like there's, I think in this era where we're starting to acknowledge privilege, Mm -hmm. We need to not make apology for the things that we have luckily done with some of that privilege. We need to pay it forward and make sure yep. we help create those opportunities for everybody else. But at the same time, not apologize for like, yes, I was dealt good cards, but I also played them fucking well. And yes. the people who weren't dealt good cards, I need to do what I can to help them and to help make sure that the cards 100%. are dealt more evenly. But I'm not going to apologize for the shit I've played well. Totally. Chris. Oh my God, thank you so much for coming on Non-Technical. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. This is a super, super pleasure, but how the fuck can we not figure out the name of that song? It was really everyone did the dance to it, remember? It was like- What, can you like remind me what the- <laughs> Like, no, remember there was like, it was like a meme you would like, 
Okay. Was like get in your office uh-huh. and there was a first half of the song and then, okay. oh, the Harlem Shake. Harlem Shake. Harlem yeah, Shake. yeah, 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 yeah. All yes, right, yes, yes. I wasn't gonna be able to hang up. I know Ooh. the podcast is over time, Ooh. but I wasn't gonna be able to hang up until I remember the Harlem Shake. I so. appreciate it. All right. Chris, truly, thank you so much. Uh, where can people find more about you? I'm Saka on Twitter at S-A-C-C-A. But I think the most exciting thing we're doing right now is Lower Carbon Capital. Yeah. Like, so we are, and that's lowercarboncapital.com. But we are backing the unfundable, the world's most ambitious yep. fucking entrepreneurs to do crazy, crazy shit. Like we think yep. that guilt and shame don't fix climate. We can only get there through offering better, faster, cheaper, cooler, more delicious, sexier, easier to use stuff. And, um, and it's working. It's really exciting. So I'm getting the greediest investors in the world to do this. Like like Scrooge McDuck swimming through his room full of gold coins, scratching his <laughs> monocle to invest in our shit right now. Perfect. And that makes me really excited. Nice, me too. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at non-technicalpod on Twitter. Chris, one more time, thank you so much for chatting today. Right on, super fun. 